The Serial Entrepreneur, brought to you by Startups Magazine. A podcast bringing you leading businesses and founders who have a story to tell and explain some of their biggest challenges. Try not to be too hard on yourself. Like, I've met so many founders who are like, you know, I should have done this, and then the pandemic happened, and I didn't do this. And, and you spend so much time, like, second-guessing yourself when really mistakes will happen. Like, we're human. It really does improve over time, and I think sometimes when you're starting out, you kind of almost expect yourself to have, you know, super high standards from the start. You know, you want to do your best at the start, absolutely, but you're never going to be perfect. Plus, share their biggest secret, their favourite breakfast cereals. My favourite cereal is an Australian cereal called Nutrigrain. Rice Krispies. It's pretty boring. Weetabix. I have a clear winner. It is uh, Cocoa Pops. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Startups Magazine podcast. I am your host, Anton Brissinger, and today I am joined by Hub Van Bokel, the founder of Tenzing. Hey, Hub, how's it going? Very good, thank you. Nice to see you again. So as the name suggests, the serial entrepreneur, I have one question. What is your favorite breakfast cereal and why? Uh, I always stick with the good old uh, oats from you know the number one brand so that's why I, I you know some, some banana in it so tell me a little bit about the start and kind of the genesis of tenzing and for those of you who have been living under a rock tenzing is an energy drink which i'm pretty sure you can find in almost correct me if i'm wrong but pretty much every big wholesaler of food and anything in the uk correct yes we're available in every single supermarket yes and and a lot of different places as well yeah Absolutely unreal. So yeah, tell me about the start of that. Obviously, I know a little bit about myself because I have spoken to you before. But for those of you who are just joining now, please tell us kind of about the start and how everything came about. Yeah, so yeah, I thought I was at Red Bull for for quite a while. And I thought it should be possible to create something, a product that is kind of future proof more. So I was saying, okay, I thought the future of energy should be plant-based, low calorie and sustainable. So that was kind of my main thought that's what I try to develop so this was back in kind of 2015 16 and I said okay and I thought okay you know is it possible to create that same effect with purely natural ingredients with taking about like 60 percent of the sugar out making it officially low calorie and kind of making it sustainable so like it was always from nature for nature that was the, the basic premise then becomes the difficult bit of finding that perfect recipe what do you put in the product but also finding the right name and it all came together one day when I was traveling. I discovered what uh, what they drink in the Himalayas. In the Himalayas, the mountaineers and the people that live there and also the, the visiting mountaineers, they drink two teas, kind of a really strong tea with salt and a, a lemon tea. And I had a doctor who helped me at the time, a, a nutritional doctor. And I said, is this actually a functional mix? And he says, yes, it is, because it's a triple hit of natural caffeine, vitamin C and electrolytes. And that then became the basis of the recipe. And then... I immediately had to think of the name Tenzing. So Tenzing was the first man on Mount Everest together with Edmund Hillary in 1953. And my dad was always a huge Tenzing fan because I I think my dad was probably like 10 at the time. He was always, he loved it because he always loved the underdog story. And he he said there's probably, and I still think to this day, there's probably been not a more beautiful story where somebody coming from very little means and literally reaching the top of the world by pure dedication, you know, pure spirits. And 
And so it was an absolutely beautiful story that he always told me. And I thought, wow, that would be such a cool name for this brand because Zing, of course, also means energy. And then I, I got uh, in touch with like, you have to then, you know, the name was still available. I had to go, go to this trademark office and I said, do I need permission of the family? Because he'd passed away and they went, no, it's not needed because it's a very common name over there. I wanted anyway. So I just, I reached out and, and my family ended up meeting out their whole family. And, you know, we, we signed a deal together and we've, we've been partners ever since. So yeah, that's kind of the start of, a, of our journey. How, I don't know if you know, but so how long... I guess this is maybe a silly question, but I mean, how long did it take for Tenzing, I guess, to reach the top? Do you know that? And did they have, I mean, is there like, because obviously no one had been there. So how, I mean, did they have a map? How does that work? So it was Tenzing Norgay's seventh time. What happened was it was like, a, it was a bit of a Europeans trying to reach the top of the world, kind of uh, put their flag there. It was very much that kind of time, you know, whatever North Pole, South Pole, top of the highest mountain in the world. And that's so special that he made it because he wasn't just the help. He was actually just a climber. Like he was a proper climber. He was the most experienced climber on that trip. It was a British trip. And like, you know, he, he, he tried, and you think of the year before the, and he was with the Swiss expedition with the guy he got along really well with as well. And they just didn't make it. It was like, you literally see the top, but didn't make it for, from weather circumstances. But I think this, the project that was planned in 1953, I mean, they took months, you know, months years preparation and then months traveling you know making the final push it's a it's it was a big group effort you know it's a big group effort and then the final two go up and that's always the funny thing i think with these kind of things i think is also a great metaphor because edmund hillary got most of the credit you could argue because he got he was sir edmund hillary sherpa tenzing never got a sir you know so he got most of the credit because it was like edmund hillary and his sherpa but it was just two proper climbers together and they were like climbers together. And there was even a lot of debate, which there's a lot of books being written about, like who was on top first? Like who was that? But for them both, that was the most silly question you could ask them. Like what, would someone make an end sprint or something? It doesn't work that way. You're, you're helping each other. You're supporting each other. You're roped together, right? So uh, and at the end of the day, it was a, a massive group effort, you know, led by the Brits at the time. And then, yeah, the, the Kiwi and the New Zealander and, as Hillary and the, the, the Nepalese Sherpa were on the top first. So yeah, it was cool. It's a cool story. It, it really is. It's yeah, it's quite, I mean, I can't, I'm truly terrified of heights, but I mean, I, I would, it's always one of those things that everyone says they want to do one day, but not many people do it. You, you've climbed Mount Everest, correct? I have not. No, no, no. I've been there and I've climbed like, I've, I've cli- I, I like, I wouldn't say I'm a, like a climber. I'm more, I love bouldering. I like hiking in the mountains, I like climb like whatever the Popocatsa Petzl, like over nearly 6,000 meters. And I've went to Nepal to like, you know, smaller peaks, but no, I had to promise my wife never. So, uh, when I told her the name and she loved it, she immediately said, as long as you never crack, climb Everest. So yeah, I think it's, it is not for me. It's not worth the risk in that sense. It's like I'm risking my life and limb by launching my own business. That's how it feels. <laughs> Makes sense. So I want to ask, what are some of the hurdles? Because obviously, you know, starting a tech startup is quite different to starting a, you know, a consumable food product. I mean, are there a lot of hurdles you have to pass through to get stuff kind of, you know, get through like health inspection? How does that work? I think at the end of the day, yes, there is, because you have to kind of, you know, your claims have to be correct, right? Yeah. So for us, it had never been done. It had never been done to create a fully natural product that has these energy credentials. 
so for instance, we had to like find, so where the normal energy drinks have artificial, you know, caffeine or artificial vitamin Bs or, you know, artificial sweeteners. We had to find a way to kind of, at the same time, you know, obviously that's been done thousands of years. People have taken their energy from nature long before there was like, you know, artificial energy drinks. So it was all very possible, but like I had to kind of still find, you know, the way to make it like scientifically correct and legally correct and also kind of from nature. And that was kind of, that was definitely, I mean, it took me about a year to develop the drink. You want to, and that's the beauty, I think, of starting something new for anyone kind of looking to start something new. What I always find is the biggest insight is that like any older business than yourself is effectively stuck with the product that they developed 20, 30, 100 years ago, like Coca-Cola is whatever, 130 years. So I always think, look, the CEO of Coca-Cola is not a mean guy trying to make you fat. He's just a guy stuck with a product that's already there. If he could, would he change it? Like if he could, without losing any volume, would he change his product to a more healthy one? Of course he would. But he could. You know, so I was just going to say, I remember my, my dad said, I think this is probably back in the 90s, I think when Pepsi was eclipsing Coca-Cola, apparently they tried to like remake the flavor of Coke. Like, oh, it's a new Coke. And my dad was in California at the time and he said, people, I mean, no one, and people are like, what the hell did you do? This is horrible. It tastes gross. Just give us back the old product. Don't change it. Yeah. Well, and I think that is the, the, that is the scariness hanging over all these product changes. So you can't change your product into something that is, you know, lower sugar or without changing or adding artificial sweeteners, for instance, because they're just too scared to touch it. And that story is probably always in the back of their minds as well. So I think that's, that's the thing. And then if you come new to the market, you can just look, you don't have that baggage. You don't have that, you know, that history. So you can just look, and that's why I spoke to, I took a lot of time to speak to a lot of experts and a lot of nutritional doctors and say, what, what is the right amount of caffeine? Where could you, should, should you do a source for? What is the right amount of sugar when you're looking for energy? And you can just start fresh and new and create something that's more kind of not only the latest science, but also the latest kind of what people like in a drink, you know? So, you know, I, and one of the biggest risks I took there, for instance, so I remember, so if you talk about like hurdles, you have to make, you have to then go, cause I'm not, I wasn't going to make, I couldn't, I wasn't going to make my own kind of, you know, whatever filling state and do that all. So you have to find a third party to make it for you. Right. And they then help you develop the, the you, I had all the ingredients, but they then go, okay, we'll put them together for you. And like, so I sourced them all. And then the first thing I said, look, I want to take out about 60% of the sugar. Cause that's what my, kind of all the doctors I was talking to said, look, you don't need like 11 grams of sugar that is in a Red Bull or a Coke or even an orange juice or an apple juice. But like, you know, because that's hypertonic. So you get that sugar spike and crash. So I wanted that four and a half percent. So again, 60% less because that's the same as your blood sugar levels. So you have a bit of energy, but it doesn't spike. Okay. Interesting. I had no idea. Yeah. And then all the people I was speaking to, to, to make the drink, to make the final product, I said, I want to take out 60% of the sugar. And they all said, what do you want to replace it with? Because that is, and that's still to this very day, that is the thing in, in, in drinks, energy drinks, Coca-Cola, you take out the sugar and you replace it with sucralose, aspartame, all the artificial sweeteners. And, and I, and it's just, have you, have you tried a tensing? Of course, many times. Yeah, of course. They're great. It's a lot, it's a lot more refreshing, right? It's a less sweet. And, and I think, I think that's a positive. So they thought then it wasn't commercially viable because everything is that 11% sugar, either with actual sugar or with sweetness. And ours is yeah, way lower. But I think, you know, we've had so many 
you know, people people love it because there, I don't think there's any, still to this day, there's been people that copied us, but there's nothing quite like Tenzing because of that also, the, not only because of the plant-based and natural energy, but also because of the refreshing flavor. And so how does that work, uh, kind of establishing a flavor that you like? Because obviously what you like may not be what the masses like. And so how did you, I guess, land on like, okay, this is this is the flavor we want to put? Because I know, again, going back to Coca-Cola, but just all those kind of everything from Hostess. And it's like, have you ever seen SpongeBob? But the recipe for the Krabby Patty is like in a safe. And that's a real thing. Like Coca-Cola, they have the recipe in some crazy vault somewhere so how do you how do you find the flavor that you kind of decide this is the one this is who we are yeah so look again you don't that's also the fun thing when you have a you know small business and we don't have massive marketing uh, research agencies going to because i think that's the your coca-cola example they did have those agencies they probably spent millions and millions on those agencies and like consumer testing panels and still it came out wrong so we actually do do that we let we take we have a lot of different you know flavors now a lot of different blends around like yeah latest was an apple and a sea berry and we just tasted ourselves and we, we did the tasting this morning in the in the office here and everyone likes the flavor and it's only like today there's only like seven people in the office we all love the flavor and, and we're gonna launch it so it's that simple really that i mean that's crazy and so how okay so how Talk me through kind of your first initial launch. How did you get that? How did you get it physically into a store? Well, yeah. So I think what you need to do, I think any, looking back, I could have done better there. So you could just, I think it is important to find your, what is that initial audience that you're going to, you know, what are the people that are, that are really, you know, open to this new product? And right from the beginning, actually, we we said always like, because, you know, obviously the mountaineering and we did a lot of stuff in Nepal, but that is not, I launched it in London. So like, how do you, you know, what is that community that is that outdoor lovers? And and, and we actually went to, because I also love bouldering myself. Bouldering is one of the first kind of groups of people we went to, we catered for. And so, you know, in these bouldering centers and these bouldering walls, and uh, you know we now we're the number one drink in this to about two hundred of bowling walls in the in the UK and we're the number one drink in that. Uh, so I think that I think starting with a you know a group of people that you can do cool stuff for we organize like monthly session monthly get-togethers with athletes that we have and we boulder with a group of 50 to 100 people together on a monthly basis in, in in these walls so really creating this cool community and doing stuff together that's what kind of started it and then at the same time uh, we've always done really well in offices and universities so like google was one of the first places to ever launch still they don't even have red bull they've only got tenzing a lot of universities like king's college you see we're, we're in every london university and a lot of in across the UK. So it's like finding those areas that you know you will do well. And then you know, slowly but surely, and then you also realize there is this new generation that doesn't want energy drinks that are, you know, artificial and high sugar. And, uh, you know, I, we, I, we did this little research actually just only with our small subscriber base. And we had to, they, we did it about a year ago and I was just reading through it. And I said, what do you like about Tenzing? And it said, caffeine fix done right. I love, I love that one. So I think, you know, it's that, that, you know, the new generation that doesn't want that old stuff anymore. And I think uh, that's just growing and growing. And that's why we're the fastest growing energy drink now and have been so for a while. And, you know, so the latest data we have, we're the number three in London in grocery now. 
Yeah, so we've actually passed the Rockstar Relentless. We're number three behind Monster and Red Bull. That is unbelievable. And how quick did that, I mean, how quick was that turnaround? Well, you know, it's it's been a journey, but we launched in 2006. So what is that? Congratulations, man. That is unbelievable. That's crazy. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah. And so how obviously, because I know with today's day and age with social media and marketing and stuff, like I was reading recently, Gymshark. And just a kind of marketing from that. And I've wondered, do, do you find as well, I mean, is social media a big part of your marketing kind of, and how do you kind of obviously again, get the right people to kind of be the sort of face of the operation, so to speak? Yes, I've always been, which is like, you know, sounds quite old school, but I think I love the old fashioned, like getting together. Like, you know, so, you know, where we, we, we have, we had, a, we, so pre-COVID and post-COVID, we've done it slightly different, really, but we had run, like weekly run clubs. So we said like running is, a, again, also for my own passion, I love running. We always try and see, is there an angle where we can do stuff together and where we can have a sustain, like natural and sustainable. So for instance, running is a great example. I was actually, I run a lot, I run a lot of London and then um, came home one day read the newspaper and it said in running in London very often, actually the health effects are worse than they are like beneficial because of the smog and the pollution. And this was a piece by Imperial college or like it wasn't, but the, with the data of Imperial college. So we reached out and then what we created together because they sat on all this live data, but no one was seeing it. So together with Strava, we then created a, you know, the London, London clean air tracker. So it's a clean, the Tenzin Clean Air Tracker. And so we link it with Strava. We pull their live data. So you can, on this app, you can look before where the cleanest air is. And after you've downloaded it, it automatically syncs to the Strava. So afterwards, you can see how clean the air was that you ran through. And then you can learn, like, you know, what's the best time of day? Where do you run? Uh, so, you know, it's about, you know, we want to create clean air running in the, in the big smoke. And it won the best app for 2020 that would, the, you know, the number one app that would change your life from men's health above like all these professional app builders. So that's like the kind of stuff that we love to do is, you know, we love working with runners. We're runners ourselves and we create a run club and we create an app that they can find clean air. So that's the kind of stuff we've done again with the climbers. We've done, we do week, monthly sessions with them. We bring our athletes together. We, you know, we, we coach each other. We you know, have fun. And that's been more at the heart of our brand than actually, you know, hardcore uh, social media stuff. I would imagine that probably works better as well because it, it kind of adds to this authenticity about it, I can imagine. Yeah, yeah. That's it. I've, I've asked, I've got asked like a lot. So when you just, if you download this app, you have to buy a Tenzing first. Like what's in it for Tenzing? But for me, it's exactly, it's exactly that. It's like, uh, you know, you're, we're giving you a tool that helps you find clean air. And of course, I think there's links there as in, you know, you know, energy, you need energy to run. You don't want, you know, bad pollution in your lungs or artificial ingredients running through your blood or like in your stomach. So in that sense, there's, there, there, there's definitely similarities, but it is about giving, adding value to, to groups that we are, uh, you know, that we want to kind of, yeah, you know, help perform better and, you know, work, work with. Shaq, the uh, basketball player had a quote, which he said he was the second I started basing every decision in my life on whether or not it will positively impact someone else's life. He said, I got much more rich and my life just got a lot better. And it sounds like you're kind of following the same path. Is that correct to assume? 
Well, you know, that's a great quote, I think. And it, I always, I've always found in my whole like working life is if you can bring, you know, a group of people together and do cool stuff, that's super inspiring. You know, you come together again with like 50 to 100 people bouldering together. You know, it's just fun. So it's also just also for my personal benefit in that sense. Way cooler than kind of, you know, doing my social media campaign uh, behind my desk. You know, so I think, yeah. And at the end, it is a mix, right? You want to kind of, you know, we also we have our D2C a bit where we sell online. You know, so there will be, you know, you might have seen an ad come by with we go like, you know, buy Tenzing online. So, of course, it is a mix. But those, I think, are the most important bit that we, we love to get involved with. And obviously, so people obviously now, you know, may see like, oh, CEO, you're doing so well. But some, what are some of the the biggest hurdles you faced early on when you guys were just getting started? I mean, it's a, you know, that's also the non-sugar coating thing. It's tough. It's tough. You know, and, I, and I, I remember, that's the annoying thing. I always realize that when I say that and pe- someone would be listening, they would always think, yeah, but like in a cool way, tough. <laughs> you know? And I remember, I remember reading, like, if you read Shoe Dog or Losing My Virginity, you know, those really cool books about Virgin and Nike. And I read them all, although Shoe Dog I read when, when I started the Tenzing. So then you can actually relate to the actual pain because it's in there. But I think if you haven't gone through it, you always go, oh, well, that's cool, kind of. You know, it's, it's the same when you see, like, a top athlete running and whatever, having loads of pain in training. You're like, yeah, well, that's cool, <laughs> you know. So I think it's just uncool pain that you constantly have to go through. And I think most of that is around, you know, doubt, you know, doubt in your own ability, in, uh, in the fact that it will work, you know, because even now you go like, yeah, yeah, we're bigger, but like it could still go wrong. You know, you know, someone could turn around and, you know, delist you or, you know, our sales could go down for the first time ever. Like we've always grown, but like, there's no guarantee, you know? So I think that is, and that, that was even the worst in the beginning, because when you just start and no one wants to list you and no one wants to really talk to you, that's of course, when the doubt is biggest, at least in my case, it's like, I, you know, I, my wife would come home on Friday and I'd be like sitting on the couch, just dead and she goes oh shit was it a week like that you know it was really in the beginning i had my i used to always hang out with my friends on friday and they could just literally see if it was a bad week or not because i'd be like yeah devastated or happy if someone had said well i'll meet you you know <laughs> some mm-hmm. big highlight so i think yeah i think it's just it is just tough so you have to be i think you i think you have to really if you want to start your own business you have to really think like am i a resilient person you've just got to like make sure you are so ask around, check with yourself. Are you resilient? And are you also like open to risk taking? I think risk that you have to be constant. Like you have to be like, you never, you never know for sure. Right. Well, I think if you have a, a normal job, yes, you get fired, but you've got a lot, it's a lot less risky. You know, you just got this job. It's a fixed, you know, employment contract and you know, you're going to get your money in. So I think, yeah, you have to you know, like risks and be resilient for sure. And how, how, how important is it to be persistent with people who potentially may have either just said no or just haven't answered at all, kind of just ignored you and ghosted you and stuff? How important is resilience? And would you suggest people who are, you know, I know a lot of people have that kind of fear of not wanting to be pushy or not wanting to be, oh, well, they didn't answer my email. It's okay. Maybe I'll just not email them again. 
Would you suggest just keep pushing? It's a very good question. I have multiple things. One of the things that we have as a basic rule here is that we should always love our buyer, we've said. And this is always sometimes difficult, but because if someone just doesn't get back to you, says nasty things, doesn't want to list you. But at the end of the day, we have to realize it's their job. They get this all the time. Uh, and I think if you lose, if you don't love them and respect them, as soon as someone says in the team here, like, oh, that I can't get hold of them, what an asshole or whatever. Like no one's ever said that for years here. In the beginning, it would happen. And I was always don't. Because as soon as you fall into that trap, you're gone, right? People will notice. If I call you again for the seventh time, I, I, don't, I don't like you anymore. They'll feel it. So, and I think, I think you have to. So that's, that's the cool, I think, really crucial rule number one. Always love your buyer. Like, when you want something from someone, you've got to learn to love them and understand them. Like, walk them out in their shoes, kind of see where they're coming from. So I think that's one. Secondly, I think you've got to be like, you've got to be persistent, but not annoying. And we've had like, especially in the beginning, the most fun stories. So I remember one when we wanted to get in at Sainsbury's, couldn't get hold of the buyer. And we were like, okay, this is not going well. And, and I remember, so Jumbling is the son of Sherpa Tenzing and he lives in, in India. And he's also, you know, a famous mountaineer, has climbed Everest. And I said, look, could we get a Sainsbury's Tenzing flag on top of Mount Everest? And he goes, sure, I've got a friend going up next month or whatever. Send me a flag. So we send him a flag. We, you know, we got the flag on top of my never got a picture. He took the flag back down, of course. And then we went to the head office. And, uh, you know, we said, well, we want to meet the buyer. And they said, well, have you got an appointment? And uh, we said, no. And then, well, of course, you're not going to meet the buyer. And then we took out the picture. So we came from the top of the world. And we're not leaving until we meet the buyer. At the end, the buyer didn't come. But... <laughs> But I think, you know, after like, then we went back with our picture and then finally we got a meeting. But even all the times when we were there from the top of the world and they didn't meet us for the first two, two, three times, even then we didn't get annoyed. So you got to like, well, we of course, not as obviously it's painful and disappointing, but never, I would never, ever, you know, it's never, you should never get angry with them because yeah, they're just there doing their job. And then someone's coming up with the, you know, if the same as someone comes to the office here now with a flag from Everest, I'd be like, what's, you know, whatever, who cares if they went. <laughs> so, but, but, but I think, you know, being creative, persistent, but, and above all respectful, I think that is the, that's the, that's the name of the game. And how many attempts did it take until you finally did get a meeting with the buyer? Well, Three, I think, and like, so we went back twice, then she emailed and then, you know, we took it from there. But I think it took, overall, it took us two years to get into uh, Sainsbury. Some, sometimes it takes four or five years to get into somewhere, you know, and then, then they might, you know, take you out and then you have to try and get back in. So even when you take you out, which also happens all the time, I don't think you should be too afraid to kind of lose an account and then get, try and get back in. You know, it kind of happens. So, yeah, I think, you know, it's, but... You know, now I'm making, again, I'm making it sound too easy because it's extremely tough when you do lose an account, right? And then you have to try and get back in, stay positive. And, but yeah, it, yeah, again, resilience is, is crucial. Yeah, and I think also, like, for me, that's been my running. So I, I actually, I did, I did do a couple of marathons before I did uh, Tenzing, but I was never, funny enough, never, I would never consider myself a runner. I was like, oh, that'd be cool to do. And I trained a bit for that. And then I never ran since, but then actually, since I started Tenzing, I've been a, I'm a very avid runner. And for me, that is just, I don't do it really just to stay fit, just for my mental health. 
you know, just to get out there and run and don't not think for anything, you know, while you're doing that. So I think that is a key also element to find something, whatever that is for you. I mean, you don't have to listen to these hacks about waking up at six o'clock and meditating and having your special porridge that, you know, might set you up for the day. But it's, but it is crucial, I believe, to find something that you can do, whether that is a simple running or game of tennis or yoga or whatever it might be, or playing football with your friends, right? I think finding something that really gets your mind off things and allows you to like relax and, you know, feel good about yourself, you know, cause it is like running is a good example of that. I think because it's like every time you do it, you do feel proud that you've done it. Uh, and I also, in the beginning, it was like the classic example I love of having run and not I don't I hate I hate going to run, kind of like running, and I love having run. But over the years, you know, I've now also actually love running. So it also didn't come hundred percent natural, but I think uh, I, you know it, that is that is an absolute crucial element, I believe, to staying sane. And the final question before it bums me out that we're ready. I feel like we've spoken for five minutes, but it's been half an hour. Final question: What are the future goals of Tenzing? Where do you see yourself? And have you expanded in the U.S. yet? So yeah, US, we, we, no, I think it's just such a, you know, where London is already like, you know, US is a whole new level of cutthroat uh, kind of. So I think, you know, we're now, so the next thing is, so we're the number three in grocery in London. So we want to be the number three. So Relentless is now the number three in the national. So we, I, if we can do it in London grocery, why can't we do it in the whole country? And I always love the idea of like, we did this research not too long ago where we asked a very like simple question. I forgot exactly how it goes, but it's simple as what would you rather drink? An energy drink made purely from plants or an energy drink made partly from artificial ingredients? We, we asked it in the most friendly possible way. We didn't say would you rather for plants or rather from horrible, just partly from artificial ingredients. We said, I don't think there's any natural ingredients in there, but, and I think it was about 82% that said, you know, rather have the natural yeah and then we did another research where we just showed the ingredients so we showed our ingredients the actual how they're on the can and then we showed ingredients of two big competitors i said which if you if, if you didn't have a front of can but only saw the back of the can which of these three products would you buy and 78 percent said tenzing or they didn't know it was tenzing but our ingredients so i always think why is it why is the why is the market shaped like it is it's still based on habit but also our repeat purchase on amazon is 82 percent. so once you buy you never go back, you know, so, uh, so it's all about taking our time, keep doing what we're doing and, you know, we'll be bigger. We'll be the biggest one one day. Not that it's involved. I'm, I'm loving the journey, but I'm, I don't see why not. Well, thank you so much for talking to me today, Hub. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Well, great talking to you again. The Serial Entrepreneur brought to you by Startups Magazine. A podcast bringing you leading businesses and founders who have a story to tell and explain some of their biggest challenges. Try not to be too hard on yourself. Like I've met so many founders who are like, you know, I should have done this and then the pandemic happened and I didn't do this. And you spend so much time like second guessing yourself when really mistakes will happen. Like we're human. It really does improve over time. And I think sometimes when you're starting out, you kind of almost expect yourself to have you know, super high standards from the start. You know, you want to do your best at the start, absolutely, but you're never going to be perfect. Plus, share their biggest secret, their favorite breakfast cereals. My favorite cereal is an Australian cereal called Nutrigrain. Rice Krispies. 
it's pretty boring. Weetabix. I have a clear winner. It is uh, Cocoa Pops. 